Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. One trailer Bravo, Rakesford in runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? I am fantastic as always. This week, we are going to record what I'm going to assume will be a very popular show, and it actually will be shows, because we're going to do a two-part series starting today with a returning guest to the show, Pat Brown. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Wally. Hey. So, (laughs) Pat Brown has been on the show at least three other times we are aware of. So, it was at least his fourth appearance. We've done live shows together. We've done many different topics, uh, and this topic... We're going to take the, they're going to wear DPE hats today. Both Wally and Pat are DPEs in the greater Houston area, and they're busy as can be, like all the other DPEs around the world. Uh, and they had a little break today because of bad weather. So, we're going to knock out this show and we're going to talk about common errors on check rides. In this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the preparation, the oral, and focus on private. And then when we reconvene next Monday, we'll talk about things that are more commercial instrument. And some other topics that uh, maybe keep happening on check rides for both Wally and Pat that they want to see stop happening. What made you think about? I mean, you sent the idea, Pat. I love the idea. What What made you think about this? I'm going to assume a mistake on the check ride. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's like you know what what starts the idea for anything is somebody screws something yep. up, and and, uh, and I got I got to thinking one day a few weeks ago. Um, I, I just see these things over and over and over, like you do, Wally, and over and over and over again, and to the point where I actually wrote a little document on common errors. It's on my website for private and commercial. I haven't done the instrument yet, but uh, but it, it'll get there. Just hoping that some of these applicants that that, that call me for check rides, they'll read it. And uh, I mean, it, it. I mean, I can't fly the check ride for them. I can't teach in the airplane as much as as much as we're at heart. We're CFIs. We can't teach in the airplane. We have to observe, and it and it really it's when you have to sit there and watch something go off the rails. Boy, I tell you, it's tough. It's tough. So if if we can kind of prepare them better for what what happens just day after day after day that we see all the time. Um, perhaps that will help some. And just in case we have people listening to us all over the world, what's that? What is that website that that document's oh, on? It's uh, www.houstondpe.com. Houstondpe.com. Awesome. So if you want to see that document and future documents, Pat has a lot of resources out there. Has all of the things he's ever participated in. I think from podcasts to <laughs> webinars, yeah, including to other stuff, these, including these. So. <laughs> Uh, feel free to go check out that website and grab that document as well. So as a fly school owner, and even today, I deal with a lot of these common errors as well, right? We were working on uh, someone who was late this morning, someone who didn't have some things done this morning, who needed to be re-endorsed. It happens, right? We're not expecting necessary perfection, but we definitely want to reduce these common errors. And because today was all about preparation, let's start there. What what are some of the big, big common errors that you guys both feel happen in the preparation phase? When I say preparation, I mean day, 24, 48 hours before okay. before they get to a check ride. What are, what are applicants repetitively not doing right to set themselves up for that check ride? 
uh, some of the things I see, and and this is not this is not new stuff. This is if you go back and listen to previous pod, podcasts. If 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 my applicants would actually, um, I, I, it sounds like I'm going to be a little sarcastic, but if they'd actually read the letter that that they they get, um, you know, about my check rides, they would they would understand. It. They would fix this before it happens. Is there uh, an audible version of that? I'm just kidding. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> not yet. Um, but one one thing I see a lot is uh, blog book pages that are not signed. So um, if we've got entries in there and there's their their you know their cross country time and uh, you know until that that page is signed, it's not a legal document. Um, if I went and bought a uh, an item from somebody and gave them a check and didn't sign the check, I think they before I walked out the door with with whatever i bought they would say hey you need to sign this check you um, could be dating yourself i'm not sure too many well i know i know i know i agree i agree <laughs> sorry for that example but, <laughs> but until that logbook is it's just like the iacra application until we go in there and electronically sign it it's we're, we haven't started um so uh i, I sit there for you know many Many minutes of my life, I've sat in the check ride room while applicants go in and and sign. Sometimes their entire logbook, and yeah. you know, for a private, it's usually at most maybe ten pages, so it's not not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. But I see that. I, I also see just um, the inability to log into IACRA, and so that is something that I suggest is that you log into IACRA the day of the check ride, not the day before the check ride, but the day of the check ride because at some point, your whatever the 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 point is to where you have to change your IACRA password. I I don't know how many days it is, but at some point it's gonna it's gonna expire, and you're not gonna be able to log in. And and, and what I see is the applicant um, the stress level in the applicant going up. Now I'm not I'm not upset about it. Yeah, it's gonna take another two minutes, but I watch this applicant just start to start to sweat. And they're, you know, and I'm, I'm, then I have to be a, a psychologist and say, hey, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're, we're going to get through this. Um, today, a young man came in for a check ride, a, a multi-engine check ride. And um, he had been endorsed. Um, he actually pointed out in his logbook that he had two endorsements for the check ride because uh, the first one was more than 60 days old. Um, but guess what? They forgot to go in and do a new IACRA application. Mm -hmm. So when I went in to go get in, uh, I, I couldn't even access the application. It, it, it won't even let us access. It'll say the recommending instructor's uh, signature is more than 60 days old. So he had to go fill out an entirely new uh, application. And he was, uh, he, you know, again, I'm, I was being the babysitter saying, it's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. You know, another thing that'll happen on IACRA, and this is, I don't know how common this is, although I've had it happen uh, four or five times, is when you have a discontinuance, and for whatever reason, uh, perhaps perhaps the application was signed, you know, some weeks ago, and of course it takes time to schedule our time, and now you have a discontinuance, and now you come back to finish the discontinuance, and now the, the, the signature is sixty day, past 60 yeah. days old, and... I don't know about you, Wally, but I typically don't look at the IACRA form before we do a discontinuance because yeah, it's right. just it's kind of in a holding pattern for now. Yeah. 
And then you log into Iacra and see the big red letters that says the signature is over 60 days old. We can't process anymore. So right. now it's a mad scramble to find the CFI because we got to do another Iacra so that we can finish the check ride out. So that that is that's perhaps that's not a common error, but it happens enough that that it's something that that applicants should be aware of that they that they've got a current enough IACRA form. The other thing too on on I see you want to say something, but well, just I was just, just going to say you know what I'm I'm trying to sit in here as a student pilot, right? I'm a private applicant. If if this has happened, I, I don't think in the old days when I did that, I would have thought that was my responsibility. I would have yeah. thought that was my flight instructor's responsibility. Now I own a fly school and a lot of CFIs work for me, and I'm sitting here thinking. You know, the applicant really should know this. I think we've gotten to a point, maybe, where we've over-rotated. I don't know if it's society or not, but we've over-rotated, and I'm expecting someone else to solve all this for me or take no. care of it, all this. This is, this is the applicant's I'm the pilot in command. You're the PIC. I need to know that I got 60 yeah. days. Yeah. The other, not, thing about, the other thing about IACRA is, is when you're signing in, is three times and you're out. If you mess up three times in your password or your username, they lock you out. And now you've got to call the help desk, and they'll have to reset the password. And that could take anywhere between 20 seconds and 20 minutes uh, to get the the credentials to log back in again. So uh, what I recommend oftentimes is, you know, if you have an iPad or an iPhone or an, an, an Android device, and you've got IACRA on it, and you have IACRA, your password and username saved to, to that device, where you can just log in, it automatically populates like it does on mine, for example. Right. Um, that eliminates a, a big a big problem because oftentimes with iPads or any Android device, you know, um, sometimes you have to drag, you know, touch and drag in order to get the other cr- cr- uh, character to. to to populate or whatever and if you don't do that quite right well all of a sudden now you've missed a login opportunity and that's strike one and so and and then then what happens is exactly what you said wally you can watch the stress levels just start to ratchet up and up and up and up and for some some of you listening that are maybe going to take your first check ride you think you've logged into iacra with your cfi and you've done this work there's a requirement that in the room where you're meeting the DPE, you're going to log in and sign to say we're starting the check ride. So yeah. you, you have to, you no matter what you think, you do have one more attempt that you have to log yeah. in in that room with your designated pilot exam. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about, you mentioned about signing the logbooks, Wally. The other thing that I see really way more frequently than I should is that the logbooks are all written in pencil or totaled up in pencil. As you said, it's a legal document. So you're, maybe you're signing the page in ink, but if everything is in pencil, that can still be changed. You know, I actually asked the FAA about that because and? I agree with you 1,000%, Pat. It ought to be in ink. But I, I asked my um, managing specialist about that if it was a requirement, and he said there is no requirement for the totals to be in ink. Interesting. Which I think, uh, I think is really strange. Yeah. Well, and I'll really, say this: really I, I was taught to do it in pencil in case I made a mathematical. Well, error, that makes right? mis- that I makes mean, sense. But you can you can erase and you know re- replace in ink at the at the end of the at the end of the. We do sell uh, green white out just in case everybody ever needed to. <laughs> yeah, I guess we sell green out, not green white out. Green yeah, out. green out. Um, yeah, it, it is a it is a real thing. But yeah, yeah very interesting for sure. Well, I'm I'm still going to make a mention to them that this is the legal document that really probably ought to be in ink. I I agree. So we've talked about this, and I didn't have a chance to look up the numbers, but likelihood of passing or 
not being successful if I don't fly the week before? Like, what, what's the mm-hmm. thought process? There? Yeah, there there is um, there is some data on that, and I don't have it. it I, I read an article from NAFI, which is a National Association of Flight Instructors, and they were able to um, determine, I want to say, well, I, I'm not even going to say what the numbers are, but it's significant. If, of not, How about we just say more likely? Yeah, yeah. Of not, if you don't fly within a week of the check ride, and and where I think we see this maybe is more with um, maybe discontinuances. Um, you do the ground, and and the weather is isn't cooperating, so you don't do the flight, and you say, okay, I can get you in in ten days, and then the applicant come comes back. In fact, I, I just had one. Um, oh few weeks ago um and, and it was an instrument discontinuance i believe and um uh he just he seemed very very rusty and um he passed um but it was it was a struggle and um i came in and i i said i said i'm just gonna throw this out there but i said if i were a betting man which i'm not but if i were i would bet that you have not touched an airplane since um a week since we were you know we did the ground 10 days ago and uh, he said you're exactly right and i said well instrument flying is a i say it's a very erodible skill it erodes in a hurry Mm -hmm. especially when you're inexperienced and and 40 hours of instrument time in my opinion is inexperienced so uh you you lose it in a hurry yeah no question i i I don't think it's a requirement. I don't. I don't think it's something we would ever expect to see. But if you're not a good stick and rudder person, you probably should fly a few days before your check ride for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty big day. Let's talk a little bit about the oral. What's some of the common errors? And not 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 that I always miss weather theory questions, but what mistakes do do applicants make? What common errors do they make in the oral? Gosh, um, the list is so long for Mr. Brown. Well, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that without, you know, necessarily saying, you know, when I ask this question, this yeah, is right. this is, or when I present this scenario. Um, I mean, and not that any of this stuff is real secret, because you know as well as I do that there's gouges on Wally, and there's gouges on me, and there's gouges on. I every, might have seen one of those. Somewhere. I'm sure you have. I'm sure. And and and, and it, it, the funny thing about it is, that is, oftentimes I can tell during the oral, um, and, which is okay because at the end of the day, most of the time the busts occur in the flight because they got to go fly. You know, they might be able to study. You know, every single question scenario that I'm going to do or you Wally or anybody else and have it down to the point where we're done with the oral in 45 minutes. And that's an exact, that's a real exaggeration, but, but, uh, uh, but they still got to fly the airplane. So I'm, you know, I don't care all that much about the gouges because I did it when I was a CFI, we all did it, but, but, um, I, I really, for me, it's, it's, it's more about the, more about the actual, um, preparation for for uh, the paperwork preparation that and as we talked about before uh we started recording is is answering more than was asked of you um uh, being uncomfortable with a silence after you've answered a question or completed your answer or what have you and when the when the dpe stays quiet it's like well he must be wanting me to talk more so then all of a sudden they feel like they've got to enhance you know uh, expound on whatever that answer was you know i remember 
I remember when I was a CFI uh, prepping a student for a private pilot check. This is a long time ago. And we were talking about airspace. And he was saying, um, you know, class delta is this and that and beyond and blah, blah, blah. And he was absolutely right. And then he said, unlike class Charlie, which is blah, 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 blah. And he was wrong. And I said, well, wait a minute. I didn't ask you anything about class Charlie airspace. I asked you class delta. Why did you go on about class Charlie? I say, what is the lesson we learned here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, "Stop talking when I'm done." That's a good lesson. So yeah. I don't think I was this foolish, but I felt like I had to impress the DP. Right? <laughs> and boy, how stupid really was I? Because someone told me that the DP that did my private had like twenty four thousand hours, and I'm like, well. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of time in the grand <laughs> scheme. Of, I mean, I had no concept of what that meant, right? Um, that you're not going to impress any of y'all, right? I mean, a private applicant isn't going to impress you with their book knowledge. Well, I'll tell. Well, let me let me tell let me tell, talk about that just a little bit. I was doing a uh, we don't we don't know everything. Wally and I will, will absolutely admit to anybody that will listen. We don't know all there is to know. That's a that's a big misnomer. We know a lot, and I, I will grant you that. I don't say that in a boastful way. We know a lot. We've been flying a long time. Right. We probably know more than a private pilot, but we don't know everything. And oftentimes, I have to go look for things because I don't know the answer. And in fact. I told you earlier before we started recording, Wally, afterwards I got to talk to you about a multi-engine thing because I don't know the answer to it. So we're going to talk about that. But but um, uh, I was doing an oral with a with a, uh, an applicant some months back, and we were talking about TAFs and the duration of TAFs. And she said, well, usually they're 24 hours. They can be as little as 18, and she's absolutely right about that. And she said some of them are 30, and she's right about that too. And I said, yep, that's right. She says, you know, but I I found out that the 30-hour ones are done at airports that have international flights. Really? I didn't know that. And I've been flying for a long time, and I didn't realize that that was the criteria for a 30-hour TAF. No, I just learned something because I didn't know that either. And you've been to a few of those airports. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to a lot of them. Yeah. So, so, you know, we can and often do learn from applicants. When an applicant says something that, that, uh, that I don't know, um, I'll, I'll usually make a note of it and, uh, and, and go back because I don't necessarily want to challenge them on something that I can't go back and, and verify either. Yeah, so, that's, it. That's, that's a very interesting point. I think what I was trying to do was speak in such words and language that would impress the gentleman oh. about my my reading of the PHAC, right? The yeah. Pilot Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge. In Shakespearean that's, language. That's in other not going to happen. Yeah. And you, all you're going to do is dig yourself a bigger coal, yeah. right? You're going to yeah. go on about something that wasn't asked about. Yeah. And it's it's answer the question probably it's, as then shut up. as possible. <laughs> yeah. and then well, the, the one I, I snicker at you know, under, not, not out loud, but I... I I tell my applicant that everything that we talk about in this oral is going to be the context of this flight that we are taking, okay? Um, so I, I will say to them, okay, tell me, and I'm, I'm going to give away one of my, my secrets, but this is a question. I'll, I'll quit using it after this. <laughs> but I will say, tell me what, for this flight, and our flight is we're staying within the United States, tell me what documents are required in the airplane, and they will start going through Arrow. They'll say, well, I need an airworthiness certificate, registration, a radio license if we're going international. And, and, Doesn't and that I, impress you? And I just sit that? there and I think, well, we're not going international, but uh, 
okay, um, you know, I, if, for me, I would just leave that out because we're not going international. And probably most of these airplanes that are, at these flight schools do not have a radio license. So, You think? So what's yeah. your follow-up question when they open that kimono? <laughs> well, sometimes I say, well, okay, well, tell me, uh, since we're talking about radio license, what radios are required to be on the radio Oops. license? Oops. And then they kind of turn red. And, uh, <laughs> the answer is every radio that transmits, which is your, um, you know, obviously your your comm, your transponder, and your ELT. Yeah, we've had that conversation before. Right. Yeah. Any other things in the oral before we move on to the dreaded uh, pre-flight? Well, I, probably it will, yeah. something will come up, but not that. If I you think of it, let's we'll talk about <laughs> it. But let's talk pre-flight. So. Okay, this is a moment where the applicant is on cloud nine. I feel like the first half is over. Everybody <laughs> tell me if I got through the first half, that would be a good accomplishment. Now I'm going up and I'm getting dispatched. Whatever that looks like at the flight school, there's a lull where you're not around. Everybody's kind of looking at each other. Can I ask them how's it going? The applicant walks back outside. They're going to pre-flight. I'm assuming you see common errors during the pre-flight. I hear... I hear of hour-long pre-flights to, uh, to impress you as well. Talk talk to me a little bit about pre-flight common errors. Uh, I I I'm, I'm not going to say this is so much an error, but the the you know, regardless of what your checklist says, I would say the first thing is to go out there and check the fuel in the airplane. So if we need fuel, let's go ahead and make arrangements to get the fuel truck over because I've watched these. Uh, maybe not hour-long pre-flights, but I've watched these 30 to 45-minute pre-flights. Then they check the fuel and realize we don't have the, the required fuel. So then the phone call is made, and we may we wait another 30 to 45 minutes for the fuel truck to show up. So, um, you know, let's let's check the consumable things that we can fix right now before we even move on to other things. And then, um, you know, then get in and, and get the checklist and and start your pre-flight yeah just out of curiosity has anybody ever left the plane tied down for y'all i heard of a chalk chalk story recently with (laughs) oh chalks yes but tied down no no, Uh, i just had a chalk story uh let's see uh saturday now this young man had not started the airplane but we were all strapped in luckily it was in a cessna 150 so he had his own door i didn't have to get out but um i was actually in a multi-engine airplane where we started both engines and we called ground and we got a taxi clearance and then he went oh no so <laughs> that's had, the one that's the one i heard about <laughs> yeah we had to tell ground that uh we weren't ready to taxi and then of course i had to get out so he could get out and, Only one and again <laughs> the stress level i if 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 we could have uh some some um, measure of blood pressure or pulse or whatever i i I see the stress going up, and and then I become the, the nursemaid of saying it's okay, it's all right. Yeah, that's happened to me before. Yeah, and we've all done it. Yeah, we, we've all done. We it. have. You yeah. know, there was I, I was remember years ago in Brenham. This had nothing to do with a check ride, but uh, years ago in Brenham, we were coming out for lunch, and there was a four twenty one on the ramp, and it had those big seven forty seven style chocks on it. You know that you can't hop no matter what. Right. And the guy had started up his engines, and and he must have realized that there was a chalk. If I'll just hop it, so goes the throttles right that, and he collapsed the nose gear. Oh! 
and prop strikes and oh. dug about a three inch trench in the concrete of the you know the tarmac and of course can you, know, you say hundred thousand dollar mistake easily a hundred thousand dollar all that no a lot more than that i, I would yeah. get i mean oh, yeah. there are probably two three bladed props oh plus yes two uh Probably geared engines and big and, oh and, yeah and the and the nose gear that was probably actually probably closer to two hundred thousand dollar mistake oh, out there. Wow. So so that 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 stuff that stuff can happen, you know on on a on a pre flight, um, and I don't I don't know that this is really an error. I guess it goes along with the you know the forty five minute pre flight or something like that. But you know I want to see the applicant using a checklist. But for me, it's perfectly okay if if they walk around and do their flow. I'm going to check this. I'm going to check that. They looked at the ailerons and all the other stuff around there. And, you know, they got the checklist. But afterwards, okay, I checked this. I checked this. I checked this. I checked. Oh, I forgot. And and back up their flow with the checklist because they're using the checklist, right. and which yeah. is the ACS requires the use of a checklist during yes. a pre-flight. But for me, oftentimes looking at the checklist in, in a situation like that is you can't see the trees for the forest almost right. yep. and so if that's the right way to put it the forest for the trees either one it's 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 too macro micro let's let's get a bigger look and then we'll double check line item by line item. and i'm fine with that and i think there's some uh confusion in in the in the applicant world y'all y'all aren't expecting them to have the plane reserved for the whole check ride no i think everybody wants that airworthiness certificate available and registration like pictures of that's fine yep you're going to look at it again when you get to the plane. Yep. Um, somebody recently told me that they needed the plane for the whole ride. I just, I don't think, I think that's a common error from a standpoint of how you go about managing that, that yeah, expectation. But, but here's the thing, though, is what if we have to reply, to refer to the POH? And and the POH is flying in the airplane. You know, that's, that's now if they've got a copy of it. Sure. If they've got a photocopy of it, if they've got something on their phone, the, the, the relevant parts of the POH are usually going to be somewhere in the weight and balance area, usually, but not necessarily always. So is there a, is there a, like an office copy of a POH that, that they could refer to, um, even if it's just a generic POH for a Cessna 172 for the purpose of the, of just the oral portion. That's what I was going to ask with a pilot information manual, which is a non-stamp POH, but yeah. fits that serial number. That would be that would be good enough to review. You're on performance charts, I'm assuming, and that sort of information. I think I think I can honestly say that I have never taken a check ride in an airplane ever that I did not have a personal copy of of the POH, um, in, including my airline. I mean, obviously, airlines that were provided a copy of it. Um, you know, it's electronic, but, um, I was just in, in my office the other day and I, I saw my, my very first book was a Piper, uh, PA 38, 112, a Piper Tomahawk. Um, and when I walked in for my first flight lesson, the instructor had me buy two things. He had me buy a logbook, and he had me buy that, that manual for that, that airplane. And I still have it. I mean, that thing's really old. Well, and we are talking common errors. I think one common error is that everyone thinks a 172 is a 172. If I downloaded a 172 POH, it's the POH. They're very much specific by serial number, avionics equipment, mm -hmm. supplements. Many yeah. supplements could have been added. So 
be careful out there that you do have a POH, if it's electronic, that you downloaded, that it does meet the requirements for your aircraft because it could be very far-fetched from what, what reality yeah. really, really is. And what I'm going to be interested in, you know, is is a performance chart, for example. I mean, it, we might be talking about density altitude and, hey, it's, you know, it's 30C outside today. How's that going to affect your performance? Well, well let's, why don't we run a quick a quick performance evaluation on a, you know, a X, you know, a, a, this a hard surface runway with a 10 knot headwind or something like that. What's our takeoff run going to be? And, and I don't care if it's a generic manual for something like that, because right. I'm more interested that they understand how to do the calculation right, gotcha. than do it for three, zero, one, one, seven. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, so and same thing for the weight and balance it, it, for the purpose of the, the oral, um, now, of course, they have to run the weight and balance for, for us using the real numbers for the actual check ride. But in terms of a theoretical discussion about, uh, about weight and balance, I, a generic POH for me is fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, uh, you know, one thing I always ask is I say, well, what true airspeed did you use in your flight planning? And they'll, they'll usually come up with a number and I'll say, well, how did you get that? And sometimes I get, well, that's just what we use. Yeah. And I'll say, okay, well, let's 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 figure out if it's really that number. Um, but it, I we're getting better on that. My app, my applicants are getting word must be out because now, now I'll get a you know, hundred nine <laughs> knots. Yeah. I'll say, how'd you get that? And they pull out the the chart, and I'll say, okay, well, it's twenty degrees, and we're at six thousand five hundred feet, and okay, sixty five percent power. Okay, good. Very good. Yeah. Fantastic. So let's wet everyone's beak out there for part two a little bit and start talking about the plane has now started. We're moving. Is there any common errors with taxing? Oh, well, first of all, before we get moving. Okay, here we go. What about the passenger brief? There you go. I would have failed my check route, I guess. What about the passenger brief? And and what are the elements required in the passenger brief? Because I've gotten in there and, and nobody's shown me how to shut the door. Nobody's shown me how to move the seat up and back. Nobody's shown me how to to buckle the seat belt. Nobody's shown me how to open or close the window. Um, and it's not all those errors in one particular check sure. ride unless they just forget to give me a passenger briefing, which I had one do a couple of weeks ago, totally forgot to do a passenger briefing. Um, so, uh, you know, I just sat there with my seat belt unbuckled and the door open when you started the engine. Aren't you going to buckle your seat belt? Well, you never told me how. Oh, and now you talk about the stress level. All oh, of a sudden, yeah. zoop, you know, you yeah. know, off off the scale. So, yeah. passenger, and uh, you know, another one is the takeoff briefing. If we lose an engine, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, that's that's kind of important. I, you know, I, I tell them at, usually in the debrief. I said, so, you know, when you're doing this takeoff briefing and you're flying with somebody that has never flown in an airplane before, it's probably not best to say out loud, if we lose an engine. Right, you know, but you should be at least thinking that what's going to happen yep. if something goes wrong. But for me, I want to hear what their thought process is out loud. Probably My, a whole other series, but the door made me think about common errors that I think CFIs make, and I've heard this where maybe an applicant has never even closed the door on a Piper because they've flown be. nothing but dual instruction flights. They they're all trying to get off and going, and you know you almost can't fault them for trying to be busy and go but if the applicants never reached over and closed the door themselves i don't think y'all are going to close the door for them no so 
they have to at least practice that a couple of times. Yeah. And Keep I, that in mind. I think as an instructor, a, a very good teaching point is to let them take off with the door open. Mm-hmm. To show them that the airplane actually flies just fine. Just turn around, come back, land, close it, and take off again. Yeah. You're good or to pop go. the door on, on the rotation. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing, because all of a sudden it gets noisy, you feel a breeze. Yeah, it's not that big a deal, but if you're not ready for it, uh, the stun factor is, could, be, could be a little bit overwhelming. Going back to the, the takeoff briefing, I guess what, what I like to see the applicant do is actually make sure that I'm understanding it, um, because a lot of times they have this rote mm-hmm. uh, thing that they just, Speech. they just go through. And and they use airplane terms. They say like we we like to keep a sterile cockpit and blah 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 blah. And then uh, they'll say you have any questions. I said well, I'm looking at this cockpit. It doesn't look very sterile to me. It looks filthy. <laughs> you must and, be flying at other flight schools. Yeah, it? yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> and, and they'll say they they give me kind of look. I go what, what what do you mean by sterile cockpit? They said oh yeah. Well let's keep talking to a minimum. I go, okay, I, I, as the lay person, not a pilot, can understand that. So, yeah. you know, you got to, when you, when you give that briefing, you got to make sure, you know, it's like, like playing catch. You got to make sure they catch it. Right, for sure. You know, the other thing, too, and this, this is probably slightly off topic, but when you mentioned the, the, the takeoff briefing on that, um, it's, it, it's, it, it's just, it's a rote thing. If we lose an engine on the runway, we're going to throttle back and, and exit the runway. If we lose the engine at 300 feet or 400 feet we're just, and we're only remaining, we're going to land on the remaining runway. If we lose the engine at four or 500 feet, we're going to look 30 degrees either side of the nose and we're going to land out there trying to avoid hitting anything. If we're at 1,000 feet, what are we going to do? We're going to turn back to the airport. What? Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe in a 172 or an Archer, or something like that, you can make it to the make it back to the airport. But if you're in a Bonanza, or you're in a in an Arrow, or if you're in a Cirrus, or something like that, it's probably a bad example because the parachute. But the, but the point is still the same. There is no way, no way, you're going to make it back to an airport at a thousand feet in one of those types of airplanes. Yet we teach them to to go through this stuff at, at as rote. And, and we're setting them up to hurt themselves down the road when they start flying bigger airplanes. There are, they're, because they're programmed from the word go, from the first flight. They're programmed at 1,000 feet. We're going to make it back to the airport. Yeah. Challenge yourself. Find a simulator and go try that a few times. If, you're, if you can do it half the time in a 172, I'd be shocked. And that's you know, because, and that's you knowing that it's going to happen. Never you know, mind the fear if factor. You, if you, if you, if you, if you take into account the oh my goodness factor, uh, I'm cleaning that up a little bit for yes, for radio here. If you take into account the oh my goodness factor, um, you you might be able to make that that it's really more like a 270 degree turn by the time you line mm-hmm. up with the runway. But you might be able to make that in six or seven hundred feet. If you if you know it's coming and you get really good at it, you in in a one seventy two, an archer, that kind of stuff, you can likely make that turn back in a four to five hundred feet. But that's knowing it's coming and practicing it, and yep. nobody practices it, and nobody knows it's coming. So you know if if you're if you know it's coming and you practice it and you can get it down to let's say five hundred feet, double that 
because that's the reality. So yep. that thousand feet, maybe, 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 right. maybe yep. if the winds aren't shifting or crossing or whatever else. And then which sure way is the wind? The, which way is the, the right wind? Got to turn into the wind. Oh yeah, you got to make sure you don't yeah. make a mistake for sure. So, yeah. So okay, well we're kind of thirty-five minutes. We probably should wrap this part up. We'll call this part one. We still have a whole lot of check ride left to <laughs> we do. We haven't gotten to the flight yet. <laughs> we, haven't got, we haven't even got off the, the tarmac yet, but we'll get off the tarmac next week for sure. Share many more common errors. Hope you like this episode. Welcome back, Pat. Next week we'll do the fifth or sixth or seventh visit for you. And uh, until then, fly safely and stay behind the prop. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe.